If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Before we get into this familiar story for you, I want to ask you to do two things. Number one, I want you to think of one person in your life, your circle of influence. It could be a, a family member, it could be a co-worker, it could be someone that you go to school with, maybe someone in your neighborhood, someone that you hang out with. I want you to think of one person in your life who doesn't know Jesus, and you desperately want them to know Jesus. Because we all know a lot of people who don't know Jesus, but let's be honest, there are those certain people in our life that we genuinely care for deeply and it breaks our heart to see the way that they're living their life it breaks our heart to know that they do not know what it means to be in relationship with Jesus they do not know what it means to be forgiven so I want you to think of that one person throughout our conversation I want you to have that person in the front of your mind and I want you to hear everything that I say through the perspective of that person and your love for them your desire for them to come to know Jesus Christ and then secondly, I want you to answer this question or to wrestle with this question. How far are you willing to go in order to bring that person to the feet of Jesus? How far are you willing to go? In this season where we're celebrating our Independence Day and we celebrate our freedoms that we have as a nation and those who sacrifice, those who are willing to go far so that we could come together today and do what we're doing. And in light of our scripture, how far are you willing to go to bring that person to the feet of Jesus? Let's dive into our scripture. Verse 17 says this. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now I want us to pause right there and I want you to create in your mind an image of what's taking place here. Jesus has entered into a town many times when he would enter a town he would go into the synagogue and he would teach and preach but other times he would just go to somebody's house maybe it was the house of Mary and Martha maybe it was Peter's house or his Peter's mother-in-law's house and he would just go in and begin teaching and preaching and healing the sick and what would happen inevitably is that crowds would begin to gather some because they wanted to hear what he had to say but many times it was just because they were looking for healing from Jesus. I am a second generation pastor. My dad was a pastor for over 50 years over in the Buchanan County area. He grew up in the Grundy Church of Christ. And when he was a teenager, he would travel with Clarence Greenleaf. And Clarence would preach these revivals. And my dad would preach the youth revivals outside. And so they would be these little buildings with no electricity or no running water. And they would have these revivals and my dad would tell stories in the 50s and the 60s of people coming to these services that would last for weeks at a time and they would fill the church to its capacity and then people would stand outside and they'd be standing outside the windows to hear Clarence Greenleaf 
preach the word of God. And I, and I think about that image when I read this story. Here's Jesus. People have pushed their way in. This house is filled every inch of it with people who are hanging on Jesus' words. And then we have this, another sto- this other story that's happening at the same time. There is this man who is paralyzed. And, and we know that disabilities, physical disabilities are horrific for any person at any time in history. But for Jesus' time, for those in Jesus' time who had this kind of physical ailment, it ultimately meant that they were completely dependent upon the the, the generosity of their friends and family for their every need. There was no assistance or opportunity for them to provide for themselves. They were completely at the at, at the, the, the 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 they they were dependent upon the generosity of those around them. And so maybe it's the paralyzed man, maybe it's the, the paralyzed man's friends who are tired of carrying him to the street corner to beg every day, but they finally say, hey, I've heard of this Jesus. He's been healing people, and he's in town. Let's go see if he can do something about your situation. And so they carry him on his mat. Again, it was probably the mat that they would carry him to the corner that he could beg during the day for, uh, for, for, for money or change or food. And they bring him to where Jesus, but when they get to the house, they can't get in. The crowd is so thick, they, they won't part ways, they won't let them in. And so the Bible says they go up onto the roof. Now you know that the houses in Jesus' day, the roof were used like decks or patios. In the Old Testament, Bathsheba was bathing up there. In the New Testament, Peter is taking a nap up there when he sees the vision of the net coming down with all the animals in it. So they carry him up the outside steps. They get up on the roof of the house. And then they begin to tear away the tiles of the roof. Now, my dad was not only a pastor, he was a bivocational pastor. He fed our family as a contractor. He built houses and commercial buildings. And so I always wonder, what was the construction like that they were able with their hands to tear away this roof, and yet it was still waterproof? I'm not sure, but the Bible says that they were able to pull the tiles away to be able to lower their friend below Jesus. Now... Pause. Let's go back inside. Here we are. The crowd is up against Jesus' teaching. All of a sudden, they hear something on the roof. That's not unusual. Somebody goes up to hang out. Then all of a sudden, there's some scratching noise, and stuff begins to fall from the roof onto the floor right in front of Jesus. And everybody begins to step back. Maybe there's a little bit of panic. The roof's going to cave in on us here. And more stuff falls, and all of a sudden, there's a small window of light that opens up, and some guy looks down into the hole, you know, and they begin to tear the tiles away until they get a hole big enough and they drop their friend right in front of Jesus and I just want to know how far are you willing to go to bring that person to the feet of Jesus because in the day every one of us have been given our marching orders from Jesus. We call it the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. We understand, we recognize that, that that's our marching orders. It's the Great Commission that God has given us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to make disciples. And we do that in several ways. 
we do it by supporting churches like Central Christian Church that are proclaiming the name of Jesus, that are a, a lighthouse, a, a beacon of light into a community full of darkness. We give and we support and we volunteer and we show up because we want our church to be a church that's making disciples. We, we, we do that by supporting ministries and missionaries who are in other nations proclaiming the name of G ministries like Waypoint that's planting new churches that are reaching lost people. But, but I want you to understand today that those marching orders are not just for organizations that have been established to accomplish the Great Commission. That when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he was speaking to every one of us individually. And the reality is, Jesus really said to them, as you go from this place, as you leave here, here's what I want you to be focused on. I want you to make disciples. And so Jesus would be saying to us today, as you leave this place, as you go into your workplace, as you go back into your community, as you go back into your school, as you hang out with your friends, wherever it is that you hang out with your friends, what I want you to do is to make disciples, to bring people to me. Bring them to me. How do we do that? I think there's several things that we can do. Number one, I think we bring people to the feet of Jesus by living like Jesus. By living like Jesus. By living a life of character that reflects the character of Jesus Christ. By living a, a moral and upright life. By following the example of Jesus Christ so that we can say like the Apostle Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. My dad used to say, you're the only Jesus that some of your friends will ever see. We are a reflection. Much like Moses who went up on the mountain, came down, they had to cover his face because his face was aglow from the presence of God. Our lives are to be a reflection of who God is. And so we draw people to Christ as, our care, as we live like Jesus and our character reflects the character and nature of Jesus. But not just our character, but also our countenance. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of of the world. One of the things that salt and light have in common is that when they are introduced into any environment, they enhance that environment. Do you know that as a follower of Jesus Christ, your marriage should be better because you're in it? As a follower of Jesus Christ, your workplace should be a better place to be because you're in it. Your school should be a better place to be because you're in it. As a follower of Jesus, your neighborhood should just be a better place because we are a people who not only have found hope through Jesus Christ, but we have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, which gives us a joy from within that the world cannot know. There should be something about the countenance. Employers should be looking to hire Christians, not because they believe in our moral stance, but because they know that if they hire a Christian, their workplace is going to be blessed. See, when we live like Jesus, we point people to Jesus. And it gives us opportunity to bring them to the feet of Jesus. But not only do we live like Jesus, we also love like Jesus. I think one of the ways you're going to reach that person that's already in your mind is to love like Jesus. One of the things that's been interesting to me about the life 
of Jesus is that the people who seemed to be farthest from God felt most comfortable in his presence. Think about the woman caught in adultery. Think about the prostitute pouring oil over his feet. Think about the tax collector. There there were many times when the Pharisees and the teachers of law would come to where Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. "Why Why does your rabbi, why does your master hang out with sinners? Jesus says, because it's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. But there was something about Jesus that even though his teaching challenged their way of life, there was something about his countenance, there was something about his personality, there was something about him that just drew people to him. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples by this, that you love one another. But they also ought to see in us not just a love for one another, but a love for them. Not a love for their sin. Their sin breaks our hearts. Not a condoning of their behavior. The condoning of their behavior breaks our heart. But what people should say of us as followers of Jesus Christ, I don't agree with them, but I can't help but love them. We don't see eye to eye. But one thing I know about them is they love me. They love me. I grew up in a church in Hayside, Virginia, where my dad was a pastor. And our church was half white and half black. And I grew up in that culture that was just completely normal and natural to me in an area where it was not accepted. And I'll never forget when my dad died, one of my brothers in Christ, who's now a pastor in North Carolina, came to me and he hugged my neck and he said, the one thing I want you to know about your daddy is he loved everybody. He loved everybody. If we're going to bring people to the feet of Jesus. We need to live like Jesus. We need to love like Jesus. Number three, we need to be willing to proclaim the name of Jesus. And this, for many of us, is the biggest obstacle to overcome. The anxiety of opening our mouths and proclaiming the name of Jesus. But listen, if we're going to bring people to the feet of Jesus, there's going to come that moment. And when we pray for them and we pray that God would give us the opportunity and he would show us the right time and give us the words to say, there's going to come that time when we're going to have to sit down with our friend or that coworker and say, listen, you've known me for a long time. And you know I love you. But some of the life decisions that you are making are not leading you to where you want to be or where God wants you to be. Can I tell you about a better way? Well, we're going to have to be willing to say, listen, I've listened to you gripe and complain every day at work for over a year about your life situation. And I'm going to continue to be here for you and listen. But can you just give me 10 minutes to tell you why I love Jesus? I love Jesus because 
I just want you to love Jesus too. Here's what, here's what Jesus has done for me. And I know he can do the same for you. How far are you willing to go this week bring that person to the feet of Jesus. Verse 20 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now I have to ask myself the question at this point, do you think the man lowered through the ceiling on a mat was disappointed to hear these words? I think he was. Like, like I, I think if you were to ask them, why are you going to see Jesus today? They would have said, because he can heal me. Because he can do something about this crippled body of mine. We, we want to be healed. And all of a sudden, here they go through all the work and the trouble of tearing the roof apart to get him in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Let me ask it this way. Have you ever been disappointed by what you've heard from God. Have you ever prayed for healing and healing never came? Have you ever prayed for deliverance but deliverance never came? And I don't have all the answers to the question about why God allows us to stay in situations that bring pain into our hearts and our lives. But, but here's one thing I want you to know in all of it, is that God is much more concerned about your spiritual well-being than He is your physical well-being. And can I say that that's true of the person that's in your mind that God's challenging you to bring into His presence right now? Like it may be their lifestyle, it may be their life choices, it may be the things that they are doing that hurt you, that harm you, and you may be bringing them to Jesus so that they'll stop doing that, that they'll change this or that they'll change that. I, I never, I'll never forget the day when, when we found out a member of our family openly proclaimed that they were homosexual. And I remember saying to my two sons, we were riding in the car, I said, listen, this changes nothing about your. They needed Jesus before, and they need Jesus now. Nothing's changed. They just need Jesus. See, we bring people to the feet of Jesus because what they need to hear is to hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven so that hopefully someday we can stand beside them and hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servants. Verse 21 says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fella who speaks blasphemy? Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? 
You see what, God, what Jesus is saying when, when he forgives sins, he is publicly saying, I am God, because only God can forgive sins. Did you know that, that if you offend me, I'm the only one who can forgive you? I've been married 35 years. My wife knows everything about me. She can speak on my behalf concerning everything. But the one thing she can't do is forgive you of your offense against me. I mean, I want to do that. Sin is a sin against the God who created us and put us in this place. Who sustains us daily and gives us breath. And so only God alone can forgive sins. They are offended. This is ultimately the charge that they bring against Jesus that brings him before the Sanhedrin, Herod, and Pilate that ultimately leads to his crucifixion. He claims to be God. And the reason that he did is because he was. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Now that may seem like a rhetorical question, but can we settle on it for just a second? Which is easier to say? <laughs> because I would propose to you that the easiest to say is the hardest to do. You see, I, I can say to you, you're forgiven. But you don't know if I really forgave you or not. You don't have to... Jesus didn't have to give proof of whether or not this man's sins were forgiven. Now, we believe that there would be evidence, fruit of that, in the days and years to come. But in the moment, what proof does he have to provide? There is no proof that he has to provide. Jesus said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to heal his broken body? Well, if you say you're healed, he better get up and walk out of here. And so Jesus says, but I want you to know, Jesus said, just so that you have evidence, proof, that I have the authority to forgive sins. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Do you know the, the Bible is full of understatements? <laughs> full of understatements. I think this is one of them. I think this blew their mind. had the opportunity to preach a friend of mine actually my best friend from college he is uh, one of my accountability partners that I speak to on a weekly basis he, he knows things about me that you'll never know and he knows the tough questions to ask me to keep me living like Jesus 
I had the opportunity to preach at his church. He planted a new church about five years ago south of Louisville, Kentucky in a small community called Mount Washington. And they're now running a thousand people in a renovated roller skating rink. And he said, some of you all grew up holding hands and skating around this floor. <laughs> now you're coming to know Jesus in that same place. But as I'm sitting there worshiping with, they have two services, so about 400 adults in the room, and I'm worshiping with them. Very early in the service, my friend comes out with a lady, and there's this galvanized watering trough on the stage. That's what our church plants use to baptize people. They don't have nice heated baptistries, so they, they go to Rule King or Tractor Supply, and they buy one of those you know, things that you water the cattle with, and they put it on the stage and fill it up with a water hose. <laughs> because of your confession and faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He lowers her into that baptistry. And when she comes out, the band breaks out in a... And everybody comes to their feet, and they're cheering, and they're shouting, and celebrating because they know that when one child who was lost comes home, that even the angels in heaven rejoice. And I can't promise you I can't promise you that if you bring that person to the feet of Jesus that the same is going to happen. Salvation is a very personal thing. Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And although grace is offered to all, it's received by few. can't promise you that it's going to turn out this way. But I can guarantee you this. There is no other place or no other name under heaven by which they can be saved except the name of Jesus. It is the only place where they will ever have the opportunity to find hope. And so my question is this. How far are you willing to go? So God, I pray that that word would just settle upon our hearts and that word become, would become a, a burr in our saddle not rest 
your sleep until we have done all that we can do to bring that one to your feet. God, help me to be obedient to this word. You know who my one is. Help me to be obedient to you. And I pray that the same would be true to every person here in this room. God, would you prepare the way? Would you prepare their hearts? Would you open doors of opportunity? Would you prompt our spirits? Would you create a fire in our bellies that we cannot contain? Would you put a word in our mouths that we cannot suppress? Give us boldness and wisdom to proclaim your name in a way that points people to you. God, if there be one here today who does not know you, I pray that today would be the day in Jesus' name.